2: A long-standing debate in Parkinson's disease has centered on when to start medication to treat symptoms in the early stage of the disease, and whether doing so will limit its usefulness later. In this episode, Dr. Indu Subramanian of the West Los Angeles Veterans Affairs Medical Center discusses the current thinking on this question and dispels myths and misconceptions, She also provides some strategies for optimizing beneficial effects of medications and minimizing side effects, such as blood pressure drops and gastrointestinal upset. She says the key is to have an ongoing dialogue with your doctor to understand why you're taking a medication, what the effects and side effects are, and to design ways to make the medication most effective and least troubling. Dr. Subramanian trained in modern Western medicine, but also became interested in, and is board certified in, integrative medicine, the intersection of Western medicine and traditional healing practices. When we spoke, she described why she believes that integrating the different approaches can be especially beneficial for people with Parkinson's. But first, I asked her thoughts on when people should consider first starting a medication for their Parkinson's.
1: Well, I think that this has been kind of controversial and a bit confusing. And I think the media has confused things. And I think the pendulum has swung a little bit this way and that way over even the last 20 years that I've been a Parkinson's doc. I think there's been some dialogue that's shifted. I think with my understanding of the current literature, I personally have the sense that patients should start on a dopaminergic therapy or anti-Parkinson's therapy or, or whatever you want to call it. So basically a Parkinson's medication that's going to change dopamine. They should start that medication when they start to have symptoms that get in the way of their daily life. Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
0: We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows. Enjoy the show.
1: If activities or if they have symptoms that are affecting their ability to exercise.
2: Are there misconceptions or myths or reservations about starting medications? I think some of it is called levodopaphobia.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think patients have really been sold the story that levodopa could be toxic. And we have studies that show that it is not toxic. In fact, it may be beneficial for helping brains to stay happier. And some of those studies are not very clear because people are moving better. They're able to do more. They're more connected with their daily life functioning. They're exercising more. We think that many of these things are beneficial for the brain too. So it's a little tough to control for those variables. But I really do think that there's been the sense that levodopa should be spared. Kept in the back pocket until you're absolutely not able to move well, and really that there's a very limited time frame in which levodopa is going to be effective. And I think that those are really myths. I think that we have a sense that one should start levodopa when either their other medications are not functioning well enough to keep them exercising and living a full, good quality of life and do their activities of daily life well. So that would be when you would start levodopa. And I really think that this delay or keeping it in the back pocket until people are absolutely needy, it definitely sets people several years, I think, behind because what ends up happening is people don't exercise. Sometimes they get asymmetry of movement. I have a background in yoga teaching and It's not fun to teach a Parkinson's patient when they're really having a lot of difficulty with that asymmetry of movement. And sometimes that asymmetry, because of untreated motor symptoms, can actually put the spine at risk. It can put the low back at risk. It can put the joints at risk. Some of these patients end up having hip injuries, knee injuries, shoulder injuries. And so really it's from... Not adequately treating motor symptoms, and so I personally think that exercise is medicine and that one should try to treat symptoms to help with symmetry of movement so that people can exercise well and keep moving. The sense that the timeline of levodopa is very limited. It's really a myth. Uh, I've taken care of many patients now for upwards of 20 to 25 years, and we can always use levodopa. We just have to adjust the dose. Sometimes early on in the disease, we're able to get away with less frequent dosing because buffering and storage of the chemicals that we're giving exogenously. As the disease progresses, the gut uptake can be different. The same amount of medication may not absorb as well. It might not get into the brain as well. And so we might have to give more doses, we also can get limited from our doses by extra movements that may get induced and sometimes even fluctuations of symptoms. But the sense that levodopa has a limited lifespan is really erroneous. And I, I actually have a passion also for taking care of patients into the end of life, into palliative care time frames, and even hospice. And I really emphasize for those sorts of providers to continue to give levodopa even into those dying patient kind of hours and really try to continue to replace dopamine because it is something that the brain depends on throughout the lifetime of the disease.
2: So it sounds like the dopaminergic medication or the levodopa is not wearing out because you're using it, but medication adjustments are required just because the disease is progressing, or as you said, as people get older, their absorption of drugs may be different. Is that a reasonable way to look at it?
1: Absolutely. I think that, you know, we try to give drug and levodopa is quite protein sensitive. So I like to give it about an hour before meals to keep it away from protein. We try not to limit protein in general in Parkinson's patients, but try to take it away from the levodopa. The reason I like to give it before the meal is because swallowing is helped by the levodopa. And so if you have swallowing issues, your swallowing muscles are well treated. When you go to eat, if you take the medicine an hour before the meals, Additionally, I think it's not just as the person ages, it's as the disease advances. So some people, the gut can actually get affected even in early stages. Many of our patients present with constipation. They have very slowed gut motility. We're relying on the gut to absorb the drug, and the drug can sometimes be competed with uh, for absorption by protein and then it has to go into the blood and then get converted in the brain to dopamine. And so there's a number of steps that can get altered. So it's not that the drug is not effective. It's just that we have to give it sometimes more frequently, give it in enhanced forms, sometimes treat these other issues that may be happening at the gut. Sometimes if you have terrible constipation, the drug does not get well absorbed. So I think you know treating these sorts of other issues that are going on can really help Adequate water intake, adequate hydration can also definitely help as well and can even mitigate some of the side effects of the drug. And so sometimes people will say, you know, I feel like I take the Cinnamet or the Carbidopa Levodopa and I feel a little bit woozy. And that is better tolerated if you drink a good amount of water because blood pressure can drop a little bit with any dopaminergic medication. And then some people also feel that they get a little bit of nausea with the cinnamet and so taking it with some crackers or some bread can sometimes help settle the stomach. And there are some other strategies that can help us get people to tolerate the levodopa as well.
2: You mentioned that taking medications may help facilitate exercise, which has been shown to be beneficial. I suppose you can also improve balance, limit falls, fractures, things like that. But are there any downsides to starting a medication?
1: Every medication that we have in our our armamentarium, I think even in medicine in general, has some side effects. So I think it's important to weigh the risks and the benefits to understand why the doctor is considering a medication and be part of the dialogue of helping to choose the medicine because ultimately you're going to be the one, if you're a patient, to take it. And you want to feel like you're helping your body. I think if there's a sense that you could be harming yourself, I know sometimes patients don't ask these questions, but, you know, do we need to monitor labs? Is it damaging my liver? Is it going to harm some other organ? Am I going to get addicted to it? I mean, these are all questions that we get all the time when people are honest about why they don't take their medicine. And so I think, you know, when starting a medicine, it's important to understand what it is, what the expectations are that it should help. And then also to understand the side effects. And then with that information, you can kind of choose a medicine, customize it to your symptoms, and then feel like you've made a good choice so that you'll be more likely to comply. And many of the times, once we've started levodopa therapies, we're talking about at least three times a day medication. So trying to stay compliant, setting pill times on a schedule and perhaps setting your phone alarm or other alarms maybe having a pill timer a box that you carry around will help you stay compliant and to really reap the rewards of the medicines sometimes people don't understand why they're taking it
0: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: And then they take it at the wrong times or they take it very erratically, And then the blood levels don't ever build up to actually a beneficial effect. So I think it's always important to get educated so that you can empower yourself and take the pills correctly. And that would be sort of my take on why one should take it in general. So the dopamine agonist class, so this is a different medicine that we sometimes give to younger people, maybe tremor dominant. Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
0: We take this few seconds off to inform you our valued loyal listener Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show.
1: People who might be younger, and this type of medicine, definitely we should be counseling patients on side effects. There is an issue in some people with problems called impulse control disorders. So patients can sometimes pleasure seek and have issues with gambling, or hypersexuality issues with spending money doing certain types of things that are pleasureful buying shopping eating so i think it's important for you to understand that these are things that are possible side effects and to have somebody help you monitor if you're a patient these sorts of issues if they come up there are also other side effects to certain other classes so um, the dopamine agonists can also sometimes cause sleepiness they can sometimes cause confusion sometimes cause hallucinations definitely more often than, for example, levodopa. Levodopa, we talked about side effects that include low blood pressure and sometimes nausea. Once you start levodopa, there seems to be an increase in the incidence of dyskinesia, so there's these extra movements That develop with Parkinson's disease therapy. My sense is that the things that cause dyskinesia are really how long a patient has had the disease seems to contribute. It also seems to be important as to how you take the medication. So if you have very pulsatile stimulation of the dopamine receptor, and you don't take the medications on a very stable basis, blood levels. So maybe taking it twice a day or once a day, this can kind of propagate extra movement. Other things that seem to be more risk factors for extra movements, including younger patients, sometimes more low body weight. Women, for example, seem to have a little bit of a predisposition to these extra movements. This would not be a reason to not take the medication. I think that we still have an important role for levodopa. But again, I think this boils down to that education piece. So understanding that we have to take it multiple times a day. We usually start at a dose of three times a day. Some people would even tout, for example, taking a half a tablet of Cinemet 25100 four times a day as a starting dose. And so taking it low doses, evenly spaced, multiple times a day is going to give you more of an even blood level. And then as you have the years of disease progression, And time from starting the drug, it's going to be a matter of reporting back to your doctor about what's happening in the cycle of the day. And if there are gaps in terms of wearing off of the drug, where you feel like the symptoms of Parkinson's are re-emerging, you might have to fill that gap. Or if there's extra movements that are happening, often at peak doses of drug, might have to alter the medications as well you know my strategy is to teach people get them complying from the get-go with taking the pills away from protein multiple times a day getting them on a compliant schedule where it becomes kind of routine for them to wake up at a certain time go to bed at a certain time exercise at certain times and take their pills at certain times set set times for eating to hydrate well so we have a very even lifestyle of taking all these types of things in. And I really feel like this type of healthy lifestyle approach where we have a routine every day can really help facilitate compliance and help people with their benefits of their medication. And then we come in on our routine follow-ups and we report back about motor issues, non-motor issues, things like extra movements. And so you're constantly in a dialogue with the doctor or whoever the treating provider is, and then they tweak your medicines. And there's a constant kind of interplay between sometimes over time taking away certain medicines, sometimes adding certain medicines. We use certain medicines like antacapone, like rosagiline to enhance Cinemat sometimes. It's a constant kind of uh, interplay with changing the medicines over the lifetime of the disease.
2: Besides standard traditional medical training as well as advanced training and movement disorders, you have a background in integrative medicine. Is there any reason for people to try integrative medical strategies and delay dopamine replacement initiation? Or conversely, can they work well together?
1: That's a really good question, and I'm glad you asked that. So I went into the study of some of these topics like yoga and mindfulness because I thought there was certain things that we did very well in Parkinson's disease treatment, but then there was this whole area of non-motor issues, especially that we didn't have good treatments for. So I ended up doing a deeper dive in yoga and mindfulness and learned about integrative medicine, which is really the intersection between Western medical approaches and these other systems of medicine, including traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and all kinds of things. So I ended up learning about this and taking a board exam. And I think at the end of the day, my thought of, Integrative medicine is literally integrating the best parts of Western therapies, which in Parkinson's disease, I feel like levodopa is a cornerstone of therapy. I really do feel like it helps people exercise and live a very healthy lifestyle and be able to reap the rewards of many of the wellness approaches that we hope to have them including in their day-to-day functioning, things like yoga classes or getting out and socializing with friends, going for hikes, being with their grandchildren, being able to play with their grandchildren fully on the floor, throwing a ball in the backyard. All of these things really are going to help people with their health and with their holistic kind of approach to health. And so for me, integrative medicine is really this sort of old, title was complementary and alternative medicine. I really don't love that title because it implies that there's an alternate form of practice. And I really think that we want to take the best of both and integrate them together. And I think that I've been kind of in a unique situation to really learn about what we do well in Western approaches as a Parkinson's doc, who's Western trained and working in a Western setting for the last 20 years. But I also have great respect for some other integrative medicine approaches when it comes to the things that we don't do well in Western medicine for Parkinson's patients.
2: Yeah, I think in the West, we sometimes think these are kind of hocus pocus, but people and cultures aren't going to fool themselves for 4,000 years on stuff that has no (laughs) use.
1: Yeah, I think we're now realizing now in the pandemic, how important many of these strategies are. And I've been quietly cheering behind the scenes when we sort of see the types of things that people are using now. And we talk about, you know, this cardiac breath or something like these are age old practices of, you know, pranayama modulating the breath to affect the nervous system and and the autonomic nervous system very powerfully. I think a lot of people are using these strategies in their podcasts or their apps to help with anxiety and calming, and even meditation are things that have been around in many parts of the world, I think, since humans existed. So I think getting back to basics, I think, is very helpful. And we have the need to continue to push the envelope to look for new therapeutic strategies, both pharmacologically and surgically for our patients. I think that's definitely you know something that people are doing. I'm spending my time learning a little bit more about these other sorts of systems of mind-body approaches that I, I'm really realizing are, can be very powerful just in my own life. When I've been worried through this pandemic, I really find myself gravitating to some of these things. And if you're not a meditator, if you're not somebody that's going to go to a yoga class, I think we can still take away some of these things just by getting out in nature, maybe going to the beach and watching the waves can be a meditation, going around trees and you know inhaling the scent of trees putting your hand in the earth and gardening a little bit connecting with nature can be actually a very powerful mind body approach you know there are very many teachable strategies that one doesn't realize can be very effective in helping the body and helping the mind and since these are two things that are so connected and a disease like parkinson's i think some of this can be very powerful
2: people can find on the Parkinson Foundation website, Mindfulness Mondays, so they can participate in or get introduced to some of these things if they wish. Well, I really appreciate it. It's a kind of wide-ranging topic, and you've brought in some parts of it that wouldn't normally be associated with when do you start medication, but it all sounds good.
1: This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.